Welcome to Behavior Babes Podcast, presented by me, Dr. Amanda Kelly. Aloha, Dr. Culkin. Are you there? I am here. Hi, Amanda. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Abigail. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. Before we begin, can you start us off with an introduction? Sure. Um, my name is Abigail Culkin, and I started off in New England. Um, not far from where Ogden Lindsley started off, I think about 40 miles apart. And we share a, shared a lot in common just in background, even though we didn't talk about it a whole lot. Both of us had ancestors who came over on the Mayflower. And uh, anyway, I started charting in 1967. Um, I took a class from Eric Houghton and was immediately. It was his first class that he had taught uh, in his new position at the University of Oregon. And I just fell in love with the chart and started using it and kept on using it. And at the time, I uh, had just set up the first learning disabilities program in the state of Oregon. And so I took it there. And we had a great time with two teachers, and I, I was the supervisor and program director. And so we started using the chart and kept on doing it. And then I taught at uh, Western Oregon University, which at the time was Oregon College of Education. And that started me off on sharing the chart with lots of other people. As I said, I started in 67 with the chart working with academic behavior on children with learning disabilities. And then in 69, I think it was, yeah, 69, I started counting my first inner behavior project. And by 71, 72, I was absolutely convinced that I'd fallen in love with inner behavior. So I, uh, I was friends with Eric. I was friends with Diana Dean both of whom were very strong uh, supporters of inner behavior. Diana had done some amazing work in, when she was the director of Mount Hood Community College uh, nursing program, and she had all of her students count positive and negative feelings about their practicum placements. Um, I don't think they're called practica in uh, nursing. Yeah. Anyway, they placed it, <clears throat> and that helped them decide which area they wanted to focus on geriatrics, pediatrics, surgery, whatever. And uh, so I began working hard on inner behavior. And then in, uh, Diana died in 1975, and I called Og, not Ogden Lindsay, not knowing whether he knew or not, and he did. And in the course of the conversation, I said something, and he said, well, come to Kansas, study with me. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this was not what I expected. Um, I thought, I'm never going for a PhD. I, I didn't want one. <laughs> so in, uh, I said, give me three weeks. Let me talk to my husband, and I'll call you back. And in about three days, I called him back and said, I'm coming to Kansas. And so we moved from Oregon to Kansas, not having any idea. I knew what I was going to do, but the rest of us didn't. And we knew our son was going to start kindergarten. Other than that, my husband had no idea what he was going to do. 
and he ended up going into nursing at uh, beginning in Wyoming. Um, <clears throat> when Og suggested in my first month there about five dissertation topics, I thought, well, the only sensible way to do this is to see how often I think about each one. And at the end of three weeks, the only one I was thinking about was the inner behavior topic that he had suggested. And he was delighted because that was an area that he was very devoted to and but had trouble getting his graduate students interested in it. I mean, they got interested in it, but then when they went into the profession, they dropped it and didn't pursue it. And uh, I have never dropped it. And it's been a very lonely road. Um, in the 80s, uh, I literally, by people in the chart world, felt patted on the head as if to say, oh, that's good work, Abigail, keep it up. And then they'd walk away and get another drink or whatever it was, <clears throat> obviously at conferences. And uh, I don't know, there was just something about it that really enthused me and, <coughs> excuse me, and um, Ogden was extremely supportive of it. And uh, by this time, Diana had died. Um, Eric, uh, I can't remember what year he died, but it wasn't too long after that. And uh, so I'd lost those two supports. But um, And then I ended up doing a project on myself. And in that project, I thought, this is not working. I'm getting <clears throat> positive and negative feelings about myself, and I'm not able to make them change. And so I thought, I'm going back to the one-minute timing that we started using in 1968, and the spring of 68, April. And I'm going back and do a one-minute timing on positive feelings. And when I walked into Og's office, he was giving me back my proposal for my dissertation. And he really liked it, said it was very well written, which was unusual praise for him. And uh, at the end, I showed him these charts, and I was terrified because I thought, he is going to say, no, 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 you can't do that, you can't, or you can't do it that way or something. He was so excited. He said, you have just blown psychotherapy off the map, and you need to change the topic of your dissertation. You know, I've been, I had a completed pilot study, a completed proposal and that he liked, and I said, nope, I'm not changing my dissertation. This dissertation on facts, fun, and freedom will be a pilot study for my future lifelong work on inner behavior. And he said, okay. Um, and you don't usually disagree with Ark on, on a major item, but anyway, I was right. And uh, so I've always viewed my dissertation as a pilot study. Um, <clears throat> I was a principal in Topeka, Kansas for uh, 18 years when we moved to uh, Alaska because of crime in Topeka. And we live off the road, um, meaning that there is no road to the community. The only way to get there is either by plane or boat. And the planes are the, the small ones, the pilot and five passengers. Um, we've been there for 21 years, and I spent two years there as a principal of the local school. And while I was also consulting at Riverside Indian School in Oklahoma and 
um, Northern Cheyenne Tribal School in Montana and, and in the Yukon. And so it was a pretty busy life. I, when they asked me to be the principal, I told them I can only do a half-time, which is really crazy. One should never be a half-time principal. But it was a school of 54 kids, and uh, so I was able to make it work. Um, <clears throat> what I found in the 90s was I said that, you know, pretty much I was on my own. I got my Ph.D. under AUG in 75, and... Uh, Excuse me, not 75, 79. And then, as I said, the 80s were, nobody was interested in the new behavior. And, and then in the mid-90s, um, I started getting information from people, uh, Rick Cabina um, and Doug Koswitz, both of whom did their master's degrees under John Cooper. And so at uh, Ohio State, and on inner behavior. And I did not know about these and using one-minute timing until after uh, their studies were already completed. And then other people began doing it too. So all of the other uh, projects that were done using one-minute timing and showing the efficacy of it on inner behavior came to me as accomplished items. And that really pleased me because I wasn't supervising any of these people, and um, but they were getting the same results that I was, which was that it was working. And I mean, there are some people who say, no, you can't do, even now, even today, even this year, well, not 2019, 2018, uh, you can't, you know, there's only one study, and, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's too subjective, and, well, I look at it this way, and I have a table of there have been 11 research studies, two of which I have done. The other nine are done by other people. Some were done before I finished my dissertation, uh, <clears throat> before I even started it. So uh, I have no problem pursuing inner behavior in this way. Um, it's not a subjective item. It's not introspective. Uh, it's not a report. It's not a verbal report. Um, it's a count. And so you're counting an event the same way you're counting an event of a student reading a word correctly or a student stating a science fact correctly. And I really try to, I tell people that. And because a lot of people think that they are subjective reports. They're not. They're counts. They're um, observations of operant behavior. There are three kinds of items within <clears throat> uh, inner behavior. One are thoughts, and a thought is an idea. Almost everything falls under thoughts, I think. It's just kind of said that, so it may not be true. Uh, the second one that I look at is our feelings, and I don't use the term emotion, and I'm, I'm not sure why, but emotion seems like a broader category. It seems more, I spent three years in philosophy, it seems more like a philosophical term than a, than a behavior term. So I call it a feeling. Um, <clears throat> Abigail, sorry, real quick. Um, just want to make sure that I understood correctly. Um, 
what you're saying. So with inner behavior, of course, a lot of people would think thoughts. And so I'm glad you said thoughts um, as part of it. And I didn't mean to interrupt the one, two, and three. Just want to make sure we could hear you clearly. Um, so you're talking about covert verbal behavior. And what you what you did was in your dissertation study and in the some of the stuff sent or the things that you're talking about is it's a count, so it's a measure of your self-reported covert verbal behavior. Is that one way to conceptualize it? Would you say that's accurate? Except I wouldn't call it a self-report because I'm not reporting it. I'm just counting it. Okay, a report so to me is a verbal, you know, is a statement of what the thought was. Okay, thank you for that clarification. And it's, um, yeah, we can hear you clearly. So you were saying there's three kinds of items, the thought, idea, feelings, and I'm sorry, we, I cut you off right before the third. That's okay. And and you're right. The thought, and I, I didn't mention that, the thought is a verbal behavior. The feeling is um, is not a verbal behavior. It, it um, It's an operant behavior. But it's uh, it might be a chill, it might be uh, a flush to the face, it might be uh, goosebumps, it might be a slight tremor. Uh, of course, somebody else could observe the, uh, the changing color of the face, whether it's becoming red or becoming pale. But uh, somebody else isn't going to observe that you have a feeling of chill or uh, almost tears or, um, what was the other thing I said? Um, oh, goosebumps and, and some other behaviors like that. So while it is an, op- an operant behavior, it's not a verbal behavior. Uh, it's, it has a mild physiological response to it. Sometimes you don't even sense the physiological aspect, but it is there. And the third one is an urge. And I've just um, Ogden counted urges in uh, 66, I believe it was, when he was quitting smoking and uh, he counted his urges for a cigarette. And um, nobody else has counted urges that I know of uh, since then. And until... I gave my workshop uh, on inner behavior at ABBA last May, May of uh, 19, I mean, sorry, 2018 in San Diego. And there was a person there um, who was so excited by the idea of urges. And uh, he comes from a foreign country. And so we talked uh, approximately once a, once a month for the next um, five months or so while he worked on controlling some of his urges. And for me, it was an opportunity because it was uh, the ability to further analyze. So I asked him for a verbal description, and he gave me an incredibly complete, probably a 15-line email paragraph of the verbal description of his urge. And then I was talking to someone else during that time, who was trying to quit smoking, and he gave me a verbal description of what his urge was, the physiological aspects, where it, literally these two men described where it occurred in the body. And I thought, oh, that's so cool. <laughs> and, 
And then someone else, I asked someone else if he would count urges, and he said he would. I don't have his chart or his description yet. So I currently have three people looking at urges. Um, and so I'll, I'll finally have some data on the urges. And uh, I think it's related to, maybe I shouldn't get into what I think. Um, I, I think I won't. I won't get into what I think. I'll try to stick to data. Um, I have a website, and it's um, abigailbcocken.com. And actually, if you Google Abigail Cocken, you'll come up with all kinds of things, and it will lead you to my website. Uh, it lists articles that are um, – it doesn't list all my articles. I don't have my bibliography on there, but it lists – key ones probably since, I think, 2005 or 2006 or something. Um, and then it also, the other thing I do in addition to uh, changing human behavior through standard accelerating, acceleration chart um, is that I, I like to write in the literary realm. So also on my website are some of the, are the two novels that I've written access to them, and then uh, the two creative uh, or narrative nonfiction books that I've written, and some other lists of poetry and, and different events that I attend and present at. Um, <clears throat> the other thing I've been doing for the last couple of years is working for an organization, a business called uh, Accelerate, Accelerate, Acceleration, oh my gosh, Acceleration Innovations. Uh, and it's spelled X-C-E-L-E-R-A-T-I-O-N, Acceleration Innovations. And we have developed an, a chart for the use on the iPad, and we are still in the process of developing that. But it is out, it is available, it is um, uh, available for use, and uh, on a trial basis, we can have people get two free charts, and then there's also a commercial version, which is purchasable as, as we're moving along with this. So we are still available at the iPad, on the iPad. And it's not available on um, a PC. It's just the iPad. Part of the problem with that is designing uh, the complete version of the chart when you get into and I'm no technician by any means. Um, you could ask me anything about the chart, but not about technology. <laughs> but there's a, a, evidently a problem in making the chart available um, on, the, on PC compatible items. Abigail, let me ask you this question. Um, it's one that I've had when, when I think about inner behavior. How does one stay objective? Um, how do you stay truthful to yourself? Um, how how do you navigate that? Is that something that comes into play when people are doing self-count? I think you may be the first person to ask me that. Um, I, I think the main problem that I have encountered is people having difficulty with defining what they are counting. You know, is it... A lot of people count thoughts and feelings together, positive thoughts and feelings, negative thoughts and feelings. Um, 
and uh, and and that's fine if because it usually works for them. Uh, some people have differentiated them and count thoughts and feelings. Um, what what we find is, and and this helps with the eleven studies that have been done, and it it relates to the inductive nature of searching for knowledge. It's how we found out about the, uh, the the initial science of the aurora borealis. It was inductive, and so people collected the data not knowing what they were going to end up with. You know, it takes a lot of courage to say, well, I'm going to collect data on this, and I have no idea where I'm going or what I'm going to end up with or how it's going to look. And so you take that courage and you and you proceed with that and you find that you have something or you don't have something. And this is the way the chart was designed, actually. And so we have, as of 2000, uh, published an article in 2000, so it was as of 1999 and before, we have um, 1.2, this is an estimate, uh, 1.2 million charts on human behavior. Um, and one of the things that we have learned in looking, and that's all behavior, inners but mostly outers, uh, mostly academic. One of the things we have found, getting back to inner behavior, one of the things we found with inner behavior is that it occurs in the bottom two cycles of the chart. It might go a little bit into the third cycle, but that's not common. Um, so you're dealing with the bottom half of the chart. So as we have 1,060 charts that we can take a look at, that's a lot. Um, it's not a million point two, but it's it's a um, it's over a thousand charts that we take a look at those data, and they all they they look they have the same kind of frequency, in other words, consistent frequency, just lower than a one-minute timing because it's at the bottom of the chart. Um, and they have the um, frequency. They have the same kinds of acceleration when we analyze the accelerations of them. In the bounce, they have the same kinds of bounce. Sometimes on some charts, on the charts that I do on myself, they have a greater bounce than the charts that other people do. I have no explanation for that. It's just a fact that I see when I look at the charts. Uh, most people seem to have a uh, times two uh, spread, times two bounce on their charts. I have I have a greater bounce. Um, another thing that we have, that someone Jean uh, Stromberg, who is also a PhD student of Ogs, observed when he came to visit my school at uh, Capital City in Topeka at the Topeka State Hospital, which was then open. Um, he said, I noticed on your charts that the students tend to have their academic bounce at time five. And I'm, I'm forever grateful for that comment because, oddly enough, I hadn't noticed it. I was looking at them too microscopically, I guess. Um, and I thought, oh, well, that makes sense. Normal students have, uh, you know, times two bounce, and students with behavior problems, their behavior interferes with it, so they have a greater bounce. So I'm not upset by the fact that some people have a greater bounce than times two on inner behavior. Um, did that answer your question? 
I think it gives us a start. You know, I think what I kind of take away from it, too, is depending on what people are counting and why they're counting it, they're going to be potentially highly motivated to find solutions to have the an accurate count, right? So I think that it's just sort of like with a lot of different behaviors that people are self-monitoring or managing, it's, you know, what's your motivation? How How dedicated are you to do that? And so if I said to you, count all the, you know, the thoughts you have or count all the feelings you have, you might have different adherence um, and objectivity. Um, and you're not really helping anybody by being dishonest with yourself about something you're trying to learn about yourself. So I guess yeah. in that way, too, I kind of take that away from what you're saying. Now, not everybody is familiar with the chart and the bounce and the times, too, although they should be. And I know that Dr. Rick Kubina has done a lot in the way of making this a more current conversation in our field. So I think that's fantastic. But what I'm able to, to take, I mean, I have a little bit of, of exposure that others might not have, but what I take away from what you're saying, too, is that there's variability across people, but really what we're looking at is our own behavior, and it gives us a way to visually display and analyze that. And what the benefit of the chart is, too, is looking at that rate, right? So we're looking at behavior in the context of time. And I think that often is a very important measure that when we take it out of out of consideration, we lose a lot of context about intervention. We lose a lot of context about kind of what's currently going on. So um, one last question for you um, today, which is kind of a personal question, if you don't mind. I'm looking at your website. You've lived, you were born in Boston, Massachusetts. I have family and a history there. Um, and then you also have been in New York, New Hampshire, Maine, Nova Scotia, Colorado, Scotland, Oregon, Washington, Kansas, Alaska. That's incredible. <laughs> um, this is a mouthful. Do you have, um, I, I don't want to say one favorite place, but in regards to to nature or in regards to your personal time, um, is there something that, um, any of those places that really kind of stand out that you want to share or show with us or maybe a little bit about different places? Um, I'm not a city girl. I may have lived in New York City. I may have lived in London, Edinburgh, Boston. Um, we live, as I said, off the road system and in Alaska in a town of now 400. It was 300 when we moved there. Um, we have no police. Um, we have a volunteer fire department. Uh, and then the other place that we have where I'm sitting right now is in Lakeview, Oregon, which is in the high mountain desert. We're at 5,000 feet. And I'm looking out my study window, uh, which is on the second floor of the house. My husband grew up in this house, and so it's been in the family since 1955. And we now own it. And I'm looking out at uh, Black Cat, which is a 6,800-foot mountain and that has all the, um, that ha serves the community for the phone call that we're having right now because it has all the antenna up there. And this is a town of 2,500, and it's 100 miles to the next closest town. And it's pretty quiet here. It's pretty remote. Um, one of the things I like about both communities is when somebody lives in that community and has a problem uh, financially or they're schizophrenic and live by themselves or something, people in the community take care of that person. And they take them to lunch or they say hello. They treat them as if they're just like anybody else. 
And I love that. I love living in a town where somebody who's severely disabled is treated just like somebody who is very capable in walking down the street. And um, it's it's very different from living in a big city. It's it's where people care about people. It's the way people lived 150 years ago or, um, you know, 50 years ago. It's like being in the 40s and 50s all over again. My mother once said to me, you were born in the wrong century. You should have been my mother or my grandmother instead of my daughter. <laughs> and this was when we were living back in, in New England and, and New York City. And I just said, you're right. You know, I, I understood what she was saying. There's, um, I mean, I love museums. I love art. I love literature, plays, concerts, music. But um, I like... I like remoteness, and I like the smallness of communities and the ability of people to talk about it. In the town I live in, in Gustavus, Alaska, there are still fewer people than were in the apartment building that I lived in when we lived in New York City when I was growing up. Wow, that's some perspective. And I think, you know, it's a lot of what unites you and I. We call each other our neighbors from Hawaii to Alaska. Um, yeah, both, you know, both having family in Boston, and I think Boston is, a, or for me, um, both having lived in Boston, I have family there. It's a beautiful place. It's a place I love to visit. I like the museums, the the arts, the sciences, everything there. But um, mm-hmm. it's the community that I crave where I live now, so I can really yes. connect with you on that. Yeah. Well, thank you yeah, again no, for your. Oh, yes. sorry. <laughs> oh no, I was just going to say yes, we are neighbors and Alaskans. And Hawaiians are very fond of one another because we understand one another. What it's like to be remote and isolated, and that's not necessarily mm-hmm. a bad thing, yeah? No, um, so, yeah, it's a good thing. <laughs> thanks again for joining us today. I really appreciate the time you spent and giving some um, some info and insight into not only your history, but the history of, you know, Ogden Lindsley and the standard generation chart precision teaching and, you know, the idea that the – that ideas and thoughts and feelings have been conceptualized as behavior by behavior analysts for a long time, maybe not right. embraced by all, but it is an ongoing conversation, discussion, and empirically, you know, uh, demonstrated part of our field. So it's really nice to be able to talk to someone with expertise in that. Thank you, Abigail. Thank, thank you, Amanda. Well, I appreciate your offer to uh, have a conversation with me. No problem. And for anyone else who's interested in more information about applied behavior analysis, You can learn more at www.behaviorbabe.com.